Welcome everyone to the Cardano Effect podcast, episode 90. The purpose of this podcast is to take high-level developer information and projects that are occurring within the Cardano space and break them down into bite-sized, consumable pieces of information for everyday use. I'm your host, Philippe, and let's get this podcast started. The hosts of the Cardano Effect are Rick and myself, and we have a very special episode today. It's a highly sought after episode, and we should be able to answer a lot of questions today. We're going to get right into the mix of things. So I'd like to remind everyone, please like, comment, and subscribe, share this video. And of course, none of what we say on this podcast is financial advice. You are your best financial advisor. And if you don't think you are, you need to find someone who's qualified to do so. So without further ado, Rick, how are you doing this morning? What's going on? What's happening? Hey, doing great, Philippe. I'm glad to have this podcast up and running too. I'd like to give a shout out to the sponsors of this podcast, Cardano Foundation. Thank you very much for sponsoring this podcast. I'd also like to remind viewers who are new to the podcast that we are available on all audio streaming platforms so that if you are working out or driving in your car, you can listen to this podcast on audio only. Now, on to our guest. This is fantastic. This episode today is about Pledge. And we have a new guest today, Kevin Hammond, who's the Cardano Technical Manager. We also have returning to this podcast is Lars Brunias, PhD. He's the Education Director. And also returning to the podcast is Duncan Coots, PhD. He's the Cardano Technical Architect. So thank you, gentlemen, for returning to the podcast. We appreciate you having on. And also our new guest, Kevin Hammond. And uh, so I'd like you guys just to say hi to the viewers here briefly. And Kevin, can we start off with you? Can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're dialing in from? How's it going? Yeah, I'm fine. fine. So I'm uh, greetings from Scotland, um, just north of the uh, Fourth Bridge, bright and sunny here. One wonderful May day. Uh, looking very much to getting out for very much getting out in the sun. Uh, so I'm currently working for IOHK, but I've also um, done a lot of things in the Haskell community before. Um, so in particular, I wrote the first Haskell compiler, and I put monads into Haskell. That's my calling card. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> the origin, the origin of Haskell. All right. Nice. Uh, and Lars, you've been on here before. Where are you at today? Where are you dialing in from? Um, I'm in Regensburg in Germany. And um, I'm very glad that on Monday the beer gardens opened again after 10 weeks or something. So I'm in a very good mood. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's taken a while. Can, can we come, Lars? <laughs> we got to have our priorities. That's right. Gotta, this sounds like essential travel to me. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And Duncan, where are you dialing in from? Uh, I'm uh, in London, where it's also actually a nice sunny day um, while you know being locked in, uh, which is always slightly frustrating. There we go. All right. Well, I'm glad we can at least communicate over the podcast here. All right. Well, today is about pledge. All right. So who wants to lead us off? The key question here, we have a lot of Reddit questions. We have a lot of great Reddit users who ask a lot of good stuff. But the idea behind the podcast today is we're going to have you guys just describe how pledge works. Um, talk to me like I'm an 18-year-old. Like, I really don't understand what pledge is. And maybe it will help answer all these Reddit questions. Then we'll come revisit them at the end of the podcast and see if we need to fill any of the blanks. Does that sound good, guys? Sounds, sounds good. good. So sounds shall good. I... Kick off, and then uh, I'll let the guys who know the, all the details come in and uh, correct anything that I say that's wrong. We should probably start with why, why why is pledge a thing? I mean, why is it why is it not just like an annoying thing that gets in your way? What's what's its actual purpose? Yeah. So what, what I was going to say is uh, a pledge pledge is not at all frightening. It's there for a reason, and uh, the reason we have the pledge is uh, primarily to protect the Cardano system. So it's providing a form of protection 
against uh, civil attacks, attacks by adversaries who don't have a strong stake in the system. Because, of course, the Cardano system is all about uh, proof of stake. And, and also, very importantly, for the pool operators, for the professional pool operators, it actually gives them an edge through increasing the rewards uh, that they have. So, Lars, do you want to tell us a bit more about that, maybe? Yes. Um, I also wrote a blog about that, but... Um... I think it's it's a nice opportunity to be able to try to explain it uh, here in this podcast as well. So as Kevin said, I mean, the reason we, we need that in the first place is civil attack. So a civil attack is um, if somebody that has very little personal stake in the system creates many, many pools, dozens or hundreds of pools, and manages uh, to attract lots of people to delegate to his pool. So then it would be conceivable that even though he has very little stake or investment or cost, he could end up controlling via the delegated stake um, a majority of the network. So that's what's called a civil attack. And that would be extremely bad if that happened, because once you control the majority of the stake, you can do all sorts of mischief. So this this is what, an example of one of these 51% attacks. Exactly. Right? That it's, it's, you could try to abuse the delegation mechanism to achieve you know 51% of the stake. And then, as everyone knows, it's kind of uh, game over or bad things happen at that point. So it's in the interest of everybody, staple operators, ADA owners, everyone, that you know that this kind of attack is not possible or at least extremely expensive, um, similarly expensive right. to other kinds of attacks that you can have on the system, like just buying up 50% of the ADA. Exactly. I mean, people that are familiar with Bitcoin or Ethereum or other proof-of-work systems, uh, I mean, in that, in those systems... You also get a 51% attack, but then it's about hashing power. So if some mining pool in Bitcoin has 51% hashing power, that's bad, and he can basically control the system. And of course, Cardano is a proof-of-stake system, not proof-of-work. So we don't care about hashing power, we care about stake. So the danger, the equivalent danger there uh, would be if somebody attracted or uh, controlled more than 50% of stake. And... Um, so that we, we need some sort of mechanism to prevent that. And that's where this pledge come in. So the idea is you make your own pools more attractive if you pledge to your pool. What does that have to do with similar attacks? Well, I said earlier that in order to do such an attack, you have to create, create a lot of pools, like hundreds of pools. And now if you have to pledge to each of these pools, then, I mean, you only have limited resources. So you would have to split the resources you have, the money you have amongst all those pools. And so obviously you have less in each of them than somebody that concentrates all his resources into one or two pools. Um, and therefore they become less attractive. And then the civil attack won't work because uh, in order for it to work, uh, these civil pools have to be very attractive and they won't be if you can't pledge a lot of money to them. So, so that's, this may... Sorry, sorry, Lars, I was going to say, so this may seem like a theoretical attack. It's, it's, on, it's a really remote possibility. But when we were starting up the incentivized testnet, we actually saw a situation developing like that uh, as, as we were starting the system up when we only had about uh, 5% of the total ADA flowing into the incentivized testnet, then one actor came along with about 3% of the ADA, set up a pool, 
at that point, we didn't actually have the um, civil protection in. So we were, just, we were at a stage where we thought, okay, if, if this, this could possibly be an attack, and if it is, we're going to have to restart the incentivized test net, which would have been annoying, but you really can't do that on the main net, right? That would be a disaster. Yeah, you can't restart it. All right, so the key idea is if I wanted to attack the network and pledge was not a factor, I could just make a pool at 0%, make as many pools as I want, have everybody delegate, and if once I get yep. enough stake, then I could attack the network in some That's right. way. So you, could, you would set up loads of pools, zero cost, zero margin, make it look really attractive, run it as a loss leader, um, but it's you know, you're only sharing the costs. You, know, behind, you, you, you pretend to be hundreds of different pools that all look super good. Uh, and then and then use that once you're in a position where lots of people have delegated to you, then you use that to attack the network. That's that's the attack. And you can see that's not that unrealistic. That is a real possibility. So the civil attack protection is important. As Kevin said, it's not just a theoretical issue. Excellent. Yeah. So the, the pledge record, it forces you to put your money where your pool is. Right. So you, you put skin it, in the game, right? And then you put skin in the game. That's right. Yeah. Real exactly. real skin. Right. Okay. Well, the point of contention that uh, people have—I'll uh, tell you—I I have to admit, I had misunderstandings about pledge, and you know, I'm a pretty noisy noisemaker, right? And uh, I thought these parameters—you got the the A zero, A five, something—I forget. You guys tell me mm-hmm. A zero, and I thought these things were adjustable to where pledge starts forming an optimal zone, and you can put a pet pledge cap in. Uh, you could put in a minimum pledge. I thought these were all plug-and-play numbers, but as other community members stepped forward and said, hey, look, here's a graph, here's a chart, here's a heat map, it started to make more sense. So basically, the sky's the limit. Pledge can go from nothing all the way up to some maximum number. Was That's a general design idea, right? That the pledge is – you give a real broad playing field to work with and then find out what happens. Is that the idea? I think the crucial idea is, is it's the outcome of a competitive equilibrium. It's the outcome of everybody competing with each other. So it's not that there is a... I mean, the, the most important thing that everyone needs to remember is there is no minimum pledge. <laughs> and there is no maximum pledge either. It's, it, the pledges are what people choose, and it's what you need to be competitive. So that, this, is, this is one of the reasons why there isn't an easy question, an easy answer to the question of, you know, what pledge should I pick? Or what will the pledge be? because it is the outcome of everybody competing with each other. So this is why we have to look at what are the factors that influence what pledges people might choose and therefore what the outcome of everybody, you know, in, in equilibrium after a number of epochs or rounds or, you know, people getting used to the idea, where it settles out. Where it settles out is hard to predict exactly because it depends on people's psychology, but we can make some, you know, rational, you know, assuming that people behave in a relatively reasonable, rational way. Then we can make some good guesses, and we've got a we've got a model that we can start with, and people can play around with, and we can, yeah, I think we, we should discuss that in a bit more detail because that really shows what are the factors that influence why one might choose a large pledge or a small pledge or a, or mm-hmm. you know different levels of pledge. Okay, so so if I might say one of the important things also to realise about the pledge, not only that there is no minimum value, is that. Uh, actually, as you start to put more pledge in, so there are diminishing returns. Mm. There's really no advantage to putting more pledge in than you need to optimize uh, your rewards to secure your place in the pool ranking. Uh, beyond that point, you're, you're, you're essentially just wasting money. You might as well just delegate it 
to some other pool and take the rewards from them. Yeah, okay. so one of the very important constraints on how how large this pledge will grow in the competitive equilibrium is one is how much pl- pledge pool operators actually have. I mean, you can't say, you know, the the pledge is so big that no one can afford it because sort of by definition that can't happen because it, it it's always choices of people choosing a pledge. Uh, so you can't say that you've got a hundred pool operators and they can only afford you know this amount that the minimum pledge will suddenly be more than that. That doesn't make sense. It can only be the amounts that they choose to to pledge. So the question is really what is the what is the pledge that you need to be competitive with all those other people who are also you know have an ability to um, you know gather some capital and and choose a pledge value. Uh, and then as Kevin said, the other effect is that there's a diminishing return to the to the pledge that you choose. So that that's another effect that will tend to cap the size of the pledge, and that that's why that's one of the reasons why it will have find an equilibrium with a with a reasonable value is is this diminishing returns. Um, Lars, should we look at your? Um, do you want to talk about your your simulations, your model? Yes, I just want to say, I mean, as Duncan already said, so we, I mean, I did crunch some numbers, but the absolute values of the numbers are not important, and they might be misleading. So. I, yeah, before we show you any numbers, <laughs> you have to take take all the all the actual numbers with a grain of salt here. So the important thing is actually, and we will, or I want to point that out once I show the numbers, is not the numbers themselves, because there are lots of assumptions and they may be unrealistic. Important is basically the relations you see between the numbers, and we can get to that. So, should I share my screen? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir, and tell yes. us tell us what tell us what the model that you've that you've got is. Yeah. yeah. B- before I share, maybe. So the idea is it's um I basically just simulate thirty five thousand people with some stake. So I, I try to follow this uh, Pareto rule that I mean wealth is not equally distributed, right? And I mean in the world. And uh, there's this uh, rule of thumb that twenty percent of people own eighty percent of wealth. And that's called the Pareto rule. So I use that to basically generate random people with money so there will be few that have a lot and then it I mean the majority has less and then um, I assign each of them arbitrary uh, random costs operation costs for their pools and then we can basically play with the parameters and see given this these simulated stakes and these simulated costs which are probably not very realistic but anyway it's, it's something to start from um, Given these parameter settings, um, which would be the 200 pools that would lead in the ranking, and then we can see the effects how how stake and cost compare, and um, so on. So maybe. So, I- so before we do that, Lars, could I just say the numbers may not be completely accurate, but we've we've based them on what happened on the incentivized testnet. So on the incentivized testnet, there are about 17,000 delegators. Uh, we know that we've got about 40% of the total aid of stake uh, that's being delegated. And we can also see the distribution of wealth amongst the stakeholders uh, on the ITN. So we've taken all of that into account. So the, the 35,000 um, may not be completely accurate, but it looks like a good rule of thumb. It's about twice what we're seeing on the incentivized test net. Uh, we wouldn't expect absolutely everybody to be delegating on the main net, of course. Okay. All right. So this is an example that Lars is about to show us. 
Yes, okay. and as I said, the absolute numbers are not really important. What is important is some of the effects you can see with um, how they relate to each other. So these are just um, some, I mean, the assumptions we made, 35,000, 200 pools, days per EPEC, total ADA, rewards paid out per day. And that, that's based on the assumption of the ITN um, yes, rewards. exactly. And then um, Kevin actually did some estimations how it, how high the operational costs will be. And he came up with an estimated range between $6,000 and $20,000 per year. It's, of course, also just a guess. This Pareto Alpha is what I tried to describe earlier, this 80-20 rule that um, 80% of wealth is owned by 20% of the people. And uh, right now, the, it seems the pledge influence is zero, which is not... So let's set it to, for example, 0.1... Uh, right. So what and Lars this is, is doing here is live coding Haskell, guys. So I don't know if you've had this on the Cardano effect before, uh, but I hope you're impressed. <laughs> and if you have any questions, we can just alter the code and answer them live in the show. Yes, <laughs> I, I am impressed. <laughs> you change the model and recompile it on the fly. Well done, Lars. Yep. So we can, we can tweak you. the parameters. Just, just because I was too lazy to create a nice interface where you don't have to recompile, but thank you anyway. Um, right. And so this is so with A0 being point, point 0.1. Now it's point 0.1, which is relatively low. So here are these simulated people, the first 200, basically. Um, so th this is this is the, what we would expect, you know, the top-ranked pools in equilibrium to, to end up being, in, in mm -hmm. given these starting conditions. And as I said, please, nobody now look at these numbers and say, oh, um, it doesn't really matter, and it's probably not accurate, this stake distribution anyway. One, one of the things that's worth noting actually there is that the model makes this very simple assumption that, mm -hmm. um, that, that people who own a lot might create a stake pool themselves, and they'll pledge their entire value to that stake pool. So they'll pick a pledge that's their entire value. And that's not necessarily realistic. So that would, that's an effect in the model that will tend to inflate the values that people are picking here. Right, and another assumption I made is that the very richest players with the most stake won't actually run a stake pool. Yep, the whales, as, as it were. So that's, that's mm -hmm. down at the bottom. We're, we're cutting out the, the top. So, of the, so in this case, of the 35,000 people, I'm cutting out 164 that have more than 0. What was it? Um, half a per mil of stake or something. So lots of assumptions. But anyway, you can see some interesting effects. So... Uh, so this is just how much then the pool would get per epoch. This is after you subtract the costs. Then our th theory predicts a margin that the pool operator would then choose. Oh, by the way, this uh, pool profit minus cost, this is actually which determines the ranking. So the high, and there's one interesting observation you can already do, independent of the absolute value of the numbers, that here the, the highest ranked pool his pool after subtracting cost makes 75,798. And if you we scroll all the way down, it's almost the same. I mean, it's a minute difference. It's a very tight. Lars, this is really interesting. Can you walk me through it one step at a time? Can we go to the top mm -hmm. left? You see where it says pool number one, pledge yes. in ADA. Okay, that, mm -hmm. that in that example, that's 2,341,000 ADA. I know it's an example. Yes, yes, yes. That's not in Lovelace, that's in ADA. Right. Yes, yes. Then the cost per year in dollars is mm -hmm. a simply an example based on current ITN, right? 
that, that's yeah. based on the assumption that the costs are between six and twenty thousand. Yes, so basically every every player gets a random cost assigned between six thousand and twenty thousand. Okay. Six thousand and twenty thousand that is numbers Kevin came up because he tried to estimate cost of labor and operation I mean renting a server, marketing and so on. I'm glad you included that. That's important. Yes. Then the next column over, rewards ADA per epic ADA, 77,389. What does that number represent? Although it's just an example. That's the, I mean, this is now given this pledge and this these parameters, then our formula, I mean, the reward mechanism says that in this situation, if the pool is saturated, so if it's filled, if it's, um, I mean, we said uh, 200 pools, so if, if it's filled up to half a percent with delegation, then that pool would get 77,389 ADA per epoch in rewards. The, the whole pool, everything. I mean, that's the money the pool would get. Okay. That's this column. Then the rules, I mean, our design specifies that then first the pool operator can take his cost out. So this column here would be that one minus the cost. This does assume that people put in costs. I know, I know some people on the testnet have been using zero cost and then putting everything in the margin. But the, right. the, the theory says that it's actually better for people to put their true costs in and then, and then pick a margin after that. Um, but that's a slightly separate discussion. But this, this is making that assumption that people are putting in their true costs. Right. Then our theory predicts, give, so this column here, I mean, pool rewards minus cost is actually the one that determines the ranking. So the ranking of the pools, this ranking from 1 to 200 is determined actually by this column here. So the in that column, the pool number 1 has the highest number and then pool number 200 has the lowest one. Once you have that, then our theory predicts optimal margins that the pool operators can pick. In this example, with these parameters, these look extremely low, the margins. But um, if we change the parameters, they, they get a bit higher. And, re and remember here that people that in this model, the, the operators are using costs, which are their true costs as well. So they've already yes. taken the cost out. So they get their cost yeah. back via the cost. Then they can take this margin from the remaining rewards. And so then, yeah. So if I could say, uh, it's also important to realize that you can set a higher margin if you're putting more pledge in, right? There, there is an effect like that, Lars. Yeah, let's look at that in a second. Let's, let's keep going through the columns. And then, um, yeah. and then there's a num number of effects that are interesting to point out, I think. Yes. Um, right. So, And then once we have the margin, we can actually calculate how much the operator of the pool gets. Because, I mean, now this is the rewards for the total pool. Costs are subtracted. So now the operator takes this margin. And then money is left, which is for all pool members, including himself, proportionally, depending on how much stake they have delegated. So then you can calculate how much ADA the pool operator gets. And then finally, in order to somehow compare it, I mean, what people are probably interested in is, I mean, return of investment. So this last column is then dividing this, basically, I, I mean, this is per epoch, so per year, so multiplying it by a number of epochs per year and dividing it by the original investment. And then you get a percentage out. And I mean, the, the height of the percentage, whether 3.7 is now realistic or not, that, as I stressed before, that's not important. What, which is much more interesting is that if you look that this column of the return of investment is not at all ordered like the ranking. So, I mean, here the highest ranking pool has 3.7%, but 
But if we scroll down, we see someone here that has 3.9, for example, even though he is on number 80. So that means that in the end of the day, your return of investment is basically completely independent of your pledge. All your pledge does it, it, it like gets you into the ranking. As long as you are amongst the 200 saturated pools, basically what you actually get out of it in the end, your return of investment is... Um, is more or less independent of the, or it has nothing to do with, you can't say that the more you pledge, the more you make. I mean, in absolute terms, yes, but... Um, yeah, look at look at that one that has a very high pledge, that, that yes. one outlier, you know. Uh, this one here, number 28, for example? Yeah, select, select very, that whole line so we can see it. Okay, fine. So, so I uh, selected this pool number 28 because it seems to have an extraordinarily high pledge, a simulated pledge of uh, 37 million. So this this is definitely a whale or you know an individual yes. or exchange or something that's decided to go for a massive pledge for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, one interesting effect we can see is that the pool ranked above him in this ranking has fifty times lower pledge, but half the costs. So the one effect we can see is that. It's a combination. I mean, what makes a pool attractive is a combination of operational costs and pledge. So even if you have an extremely high pledge, uh, depending and how this is weighed against each other, that is exactly where this is zero comes in. So for low is zero, the pledge is not important. And for high is zero, the influence of the pledge becomes more important for the ranking. But we see that even for, I mean, for this low value of a zero, pools with far lower pledge, um, can be actually be ranked higher if they have lower costs. And then if we go back uh, and here in this this column that determines the ranking, actually the pool rewards minus cost, we see that those two pools, 27 and 28, are ranked the same basically at least. Um, the number of digits I showed, maybe there's a difference after the after the uh, decimal point. Yeah, they're right uh, next I, to each other. I have a follow-up question. So I'm trying to understand this from a business perspective. So we're, we're talking about the A0. Are you guys leaning towards a higher A0? Because from what I see, the bottom pool was around 312,000 ADA pledged, and then the top pool, 37 million. So there's a factor of 100 there. And from what I see from the ROI, from that 3.56 up to the 3.9, that's like an increase of around 10% for for operators and you said that you wanted to prevent sybil attacks so why how is this congruent with preventing sybil attacks if the returns on percentages for delegating a larger amount are so nominal that it really doesn't matter that much whether you're pledging 37 million or you're pledging 30,000 like if the return on investment is so low what would how would that prevent civil attacks because you have to get into the into that top group that's that's right. the key point is that there's not there's not a massive increase of not a massive benefit of having ever and ever higher pledges you just need to have a big enough pledge to get into that you know top tier and it's it's the fact that you had to put in that you know initial pledge at all that's what gives you the civil attack protection because that should be high enough that it means that you can't in practice create hundreds of of pools and execute the civil attack Okay. Okay. So there's right. a there's a number then that gets you into there's an ideal number that gets you within this list as far as well, pledge. But it's, pledge. I mean, it's not a number that we hard code somewhere, and it's 
as Duncan before said, it's an equilibrium that has to be found. So basically, I mean, all the people interested in running a pool are, are competing against each other. And and the 200 or whatever the number of pools will be, um, best ones, they will end up in that group. And so, I mean, it's not a number we pick. And I mean, two things. So as Duncan said, you need the pledge to actually get into the top pools. Otherwise, you, you don't have any return on investment. So that's the one thing. And the second thing is, you, as you can see nicely here in rows 27, 28, that you can compensate for higher operational costs with a higher pledge. So if you, for whatever reason, have high costs, maybe because you operate in a high-cost um, country where labor is expensive, uh, so you can't uh, run your pool very cheap, then you can compensate for that and make your pool attractive by having a higher pledge. I mean, that's another reason why you would want to to choose a higher pledge. But the most important reason is what Duncan said, that, I mean, you must get into this group of the top 200 pools in the first place. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't get any. But after that, you can see that having a higher pledge does not necessarily give you a higher return on investment. Like looking at this line 27, 28 here, Yes. In the highlighted line 28, that's that's the you know the super whale. They are getting a lower return on investment compared to the guy who's got 50 times smaller pledge. Right. The, right. So yeah. it's not it's not the case that you know you just have to get a bigger and bigger and bigger pledge, and that's where the competition is driving things. The competition is not doing that. Exactly. And also another very important thing to notice here is that you don't have to be competing with the super whales. You have to get into the list at all. So you need to look at not the biggest pledge that anyone is doing. But kind of the you know the lower end, the smaller end, at the margin, what do you need right. to get into that top group? Because once you're in that top group, you can achieve these these returns on investment. You just need to get in at all. So you don't need that. You know, you're not competing with the person who's having the highest pledge. You're competing more with the people with the lower pledge, and also on the cost. Okay. Can I can I ask a few things about these example numbers that we're using? You see down way at the bottom left side, it says number of whales, 164. Those have been removed from this list, mm -hmm. right? So yes. they're not even included in this 200. So yes, we're they, they are delegating rather than running their own pools. Okay. Oh, I got you. Okay. That's the top whales delegating. So these yeah, are so the actual top 200 pools. That's right. So the, so the assumption here, Rick, is that say you are incredibly wealthy, then your your labor cost to you is going to be so high that actually it's beneficial to delegate rather than to run your own pool. So you'll either have to become technically competent, devote some of your labor into running the pool, or pay people to do it for you. So actually, and, and when you're doing that, of course, by running the pool, you're also taking some risk. Okay, so, so you're taking a risk that your pool doesn't deliver, that you slip in the rankings, all these kinds of things. So actually, there is an incentive, a social incentive, for wealthy individuals uh, to not run their own pools, but to delegate to third-party pools. And we've already seen that on the uh, incentivized test net to some extent, uh, where um, IOHK, CF, and Emergo, we've we've all been delegating a lot of our stake uh, because because although certainly in IOHK's case we're perfectly competent to run the pools, there there is a cost to us to doing that, and there's a limit to how many pools we can rationally run and and manage. 
So okay. it actually is is better business for us, as well as better better socially to delegate out our stake. So we'll we'll see how the, we'll see how this works out on the mainnet. But it's certainly it's absolutely not the case that all of the whales will definitely want to run their own pools. We we believe a lot of them will be delegating. And I mean, as I said before, this may be unrealistic assumptions. I mean, who exactly will behave like that and not run their own pools? So it might not be 164, it can be 20 or it can be 500. But the point is, this is not important. These effects we talked about, that the ranking is not just following the pledge that the cost has an influence. And especially the uh, the part that the return of investment, once you are amongst the saturated pools, um, that then your return of investment does not depend on the height of the pledge. I mean, those are effects that are stable, even if we change the assumptions, even if I uh, play with the numbers and put, plug other numbers in there. I mean, the absolute numbers will change, but these effects won't change. Okay. Lars, let's, let's have a look at what um, changing A0 does. Yes. Because that's actually, because one of the things that's noticeable here, if you scroll back up to the top of that column of um, the, the pledges, no, sorry, the costs here, Right. So apart from that one outlier on 28, the, what, the thing that, to notice here is that all these costs are very low. Yes, remember, they can be between 6,000 and 20,000. Right. But the, but the most competitive top ones here have ended up with mostly the costs being driven down to being very low. Yes. Um, so that's an interesting effect of where we have picked A0 to be quite low. And there's only one or two you know, super whales that, that chose to run their own pools where they could afford a you know, very high pledge, and correspondingly, they can afford a high cost. But uh, yeah, if we bump up the um, A0, you'll see that that has a, a different effect on the the costs that certain pools can support in a competitive equilibrium, which okay. actually may be very interesting to people who are thinking of running uh, pools commercially that do have, you know, non-trivial IT and labor costs. And it's not just, you know, one person in a bedroom. Yep, I know what you mean. And so just for example, for the viewers to catch you up, what Lars did there is he went to the A0 parameter. It wasn't labeled and he changed it from 0.1 to 0.5. And then he recompiled the table. You just executed the program and now it's recalculated the model. I recompiled the program because right now the these numbers are hard-coded. And okay, then I gotcha. ran it again and a new simulation with these different pledge. All the other parameters stayed the same, but this... So it's, it's on a new is... random sample of users. Um, yes. So the, the, the thing to notice here is that, okay, there's still quite a lot of you know low-cost pools, but there's also a much higher number than previous time of medium and higher-cost pools, right? up in the 9, 10, and teens of thousands costs, right? So the effect of the... When the pledge is of greater influence by setting A0 to being 0.5 rather than 0.1, we now see that you can have competitive pools that actually have higher costs because they can compensate for it by having a higher pledge. So that is actually one way that you know higher cost professional pools can actually compete. Um, I mean, you know, apart from all the kind of things outside of the model like marketing and everything, but just directly on the you know the sort of game theory, they can still compete by having uh, a higher um, pledge. Okay, yeah, but e- equally, Duncan, we're not excluding any pools. Um, so anyone who wants to run a pool can run a pool. They can run a pool with zero pledge. Yeah, sure. did, did I mention that you can run ranking. a pool with zero pledge? There is no minimum pledge. <laughs> right. Even if you're not amongst the 200 first pools, I mean, you can. it's not illegal. I mean, you can still have a pool that would rank on number 5,000. 
the only thing is that our theory predicts that then people probably won't delegate to your pool. But I mean, you can still, of course, delegate to your own pool and then also get some staking rewards from your own pool. It's just, uh, I mean, we only expect people to actually want to be in your pool if you, in this with these parameter settings if you are amongst the first 200. But you can do whatever you like. I mean, you don't need a pledge or it can be as low as you want. And so you're totally free. There are no hard-coded limits anywhere in, in our system. Okay. And, and another thing that's probably worth mentioning is this, well, first of all, the 200 limit, it's just a number we've picked out of the air. Uh, but secondly, what Lars is showing is what happens in a theoretical limit. Uh, so in practice, yeah. what we'd expect is that if we cho choose, say, 200, as he's done here, then in fact, the delegation will be spread out a bit further, and there mm -hmm. might be 50% more pools or, or so. And in fact, on the right. incentivized test net, what you're seeing is we set the parameter at 100, and we're seeing about 260 uh, pools that are viable, according to our. Sorry, there. Could you cut the word viable? <laughs> uh, but, uh -huh. but there are 250 pools um, that are making a good profit, according to our calculations. Okay. Now, I, I noticed an interesting effect in this example. Lars, can you scroll up to about row number 28 again? And when A0 was set to 0 0.1 in this example, the 27 and 28, the percent all the way on the right-hand side was at 3.5 and 3.9%. And now that you set A0 from 0 0.1 to 0 0.5, I see that it shifted downward slightly in that zone. And the pool's probably completely reorganized, but we're not talking about that. Uh, so that percentage on the right side also shifted. So that was an effect of A0 going from 0 0.1 yes, to 0 can, 0.5. And I can explain why that happens. Because as we just said, um, when the A0 is low, the determining factor for high ranks, for good ranks, is cost, low cost. So with A0 and 0 or very low, pools are attractive when they have low cost. And the higher A0 goes, the less important operational costs become and the more important the pledge becomes. But what does that mean? I mean, costs is basically efficiency of the system. So, um, I mean, the total rewards, all the costs get taken out before anybody gets any rewards. So the more expensive all the operational costs are, the less is left for rewards to actually give to people. So that means the higher you set A0, the more expensive the pools will operate and the fewer rewards are left, so everybody gets less. So that's okay. one of effect of increasing A0 is that this return of investment will tend to go down. Okay, so the percentage on the far right, the ROI percent that we call ROS, ROS percent, for example, that number is the total percent pool rewards in this model, or is that the pool operator percent? It's the, that's the pool, pool operator. operator. It's, it's basically... If this is his investment, the pledge, then per year, how much does he get out of his pool okay. after he has paid his he has taken his cost out and also his people uh, the delegates to his pool? Okay, you know, you you guys really have thought you've thought this through so thoroughly. I mean, I, I you know what I mean? Like in the example, in the case of my pool. I'm paying almost as much for internet. I'm in the United States, and things are kind of expensive. I guess I don't know. Like I'm paying almost as much for my internet as I would have to pay if I rented a cloud server instead. Then, and that's just the internet. That doesn't include the hardware and the processing power. Plus, 
there is additional time and effort involved with maintaining your own hardware server as opposed to using a cloud service. That's why cloud services are so popular. And now I'm starting to realize, I'm like, wow, I'm starting to think about one of them cloud services. <laughs> I'll stick to bare metal, but I'm thinking about it. But it is, it is, it is a factor. It, the cost of the hardware, the cost of replacing hardware, when you purchase a cloud service, you don't have to pay to replace hardware. You just, they take care of that. You just put your software on there and run whatever you want to run. So very interesting, very interesting so far. Yeah, so I think I think the very important effect here to notice is that when it's not that the return on investment sort of got worse because you increased A zero, it's rather that the people who are competitive are able to support higher costs, higher operational costs. But those people themselves are getting a lower return on investment because you know there's more money being taken out in costs, and so there's less as profit. So it's not it's not that like A zero higher A zero means you get lower returns. It's rather you know, for, for, for a single pool, they have whatever their fixed costs are, um, their full economic costs. They are going to be, you know, they'll do equally well under, under either, you know, their return investment is going to be the same either way. It's just a question of which are the pools that are going to end up in that equilibrium. Okay. Um, yeah, and another thing that, we, as we're kind of saying, is once you're in this equilibrium state, your pool is saturated, then it doesn't matter too much where you are in the ranking. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the important message that once you are amongst the top pools, uh, it doesn't matter whether you are in there because you have low costs or whether because you have a high pledge. So okay. here's one way, another way of looking at it is if, if you're a pool operator that does have high costs, you actually want a high A0 because you would like the, the, the competitive equilibrium to support higher cost pools. And those higher cost pools are able to compensate for their higher costs by having by gathering a, a bigger pledge than than people who've got extremely low cost pools, and there's whereas in the in the world where a zero is very low or zero, then um, you know it really is a very strong race to the bottom of of low cost. Okay, now this 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 kind of begs an interesting question where we don't know what a zero is, right? But for example, right now I think it's zero point one on the Haskell private Pioneer testnet. I think is what Kevin said it to. How do you find a zero. That I guess is really the question. I don't know if there's an answer to that question. How, how do we do that? How do we find the right A zero? Point one is too low. Point nine is too high. How do we get there? Actually, the the, the point nine question is actually interesting because it's not A zero is not a value between zero and one. It's actually a zero value between zero and infinity. Mm -hmm. um, maybe Lars would be a good opportunity to look at the other graph. Yes, just to see um, what the effect of A zero is. Sure. Yeah, Rick, when we were doing UMED spreadsheets uh, last podcast, we, we set A0 to 5. So, right. I mean, Indeed. it can go... Exactly, yeah. 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 So, it, we shouldn't have in mind that like one is some magic you know, upper and that we have to pick between them. Okay, um, thank you. Lars, do you want to explain what's going on here? Yes. So, this is now something else. It's just um, basically the pool reward. So, it's not return of investment, not just for the pool operator. It's just the pool reward. So, on the x-axis, we have pledge and on the y-axis we have pool rewards so that's and pledge as a fraction of all the stake in the whole system yes so yes like so basically because if we also have 200 pools then 0.05 so here that would be basically the highest pledge because afterwards your pool is saturated so this diagram actually only makes sense in this right it only makes sense until 0.005 so this would be 
uh, yes, half a percent of all available. And that, that would correspond to a private pool where your pledge was exactly one over k, you know, one two hundredth of the whole stake yes. in the system. A, a fully saturated pool with all your own money in it. Right, right. Now it's not fully saturated. So now it's. This is now a fully saturated pool, and and here we can slide this a zero. It's just called a here, but it's supposed to be a zero. So we see the effect. So the higher it gets, the steeper this line becomes. But the interesting thing actually is, it's always um, diminishing return. So if you, for example, look here, somebody has so much pledge and he contemplates doubling his pledge. So he doubles his pledge. But if you see it, the reward, it obviously doesn't double. I mean, it does increase, but it doesn't double. So you never get proportional rewards basically for, for raising the pledge. And this is something you can nicely see in this diagram. And even even with a very high A0, yes. it, because the key point is it does not go through the origin. That's yes. why it's not directly proportional. So there's always an effect of diminishing returns. So although it's a straight line, the reason why it's diminishing returns is because you've had to, you know, you've got to think that you're dividing through by the amount that you, you know, the capital that you put up in the first place. So as Lars said, doubling the capital that you put up did not double your returns. So therefore, there's diminishing returns on investment. And that that there is one of the reasons why you would intuitively expect there to be an equilibrium because there is a, this restraining effect on people choosing higher and higher pledges. People don't actually want to choose higher and higher pledges because they're not going to get higher and higher returns on investment. So that's one of the things that will dampen the effect of uh, a race towards higher pledges. Yes. Okay. And you know, one thing that will, will accelerate the race towards higher pledges is the human factor where you got a lot of players out there. People kind of take one a different approach. Some people set it and forget it. No, they'll, they'll check back months from now, but some people will look and they'll poke around until they find the pool. They get the best returns. So they're going to look for who has the highest pledge available. Well, they're going to look for who gets the highest returns, which there you, is not yeah, the there same you go. Highest return, as right. who right. has the highest pledge. And, and the, the, the wallets, the wallets in the main net is going to show you, you know, these raw numbers like margin and cost and blah and blah, which mean nothing to people. It's going to show you what your return is going to be. What is the, you know, what is the non-myopic utility is the technical uh, thing. But it's what basically it's what the theory says your best choices are, uh, which co really corresponds to. Um, and, and I forgot to mention that earlier. I mean, this was, I mean, the, the stuff I, I showed earlier was from the point of view of the pool operator. But from the point of view of the pool delegates, all those 200 pools are exactly, they all pay exactly the same returns. They've, they've all reached an equilibrium where they're equally yes, good. that's from the what point of view it means of, to be in equilibrium. From the point of view of a delegator. Oh, that's a very important point. <laughs> Could also say, um, there's also no point increasing your pledge too far because once you're saturated, you've achieved, you've achieved nirvana, you'll get no more rewards. If you do have a lot of ADA, the correct strategy is not to put it all into one pool, but to put some of it into one pool up to the saturation limit, or probably quite a bit less, because you want to get other people's ADA delegated to you. That's probably the optimal strategy. And then either run one or more additional pools, or simply delegate your ADA out to other pool operators. Yes, this diagram is not correct. That's why I pointed out we should only look until here. So this part here is not correct. I mean, the real formula, this is a simplified version. The real formula would be kept here. So beyond this point, once the pool is saturated, 
you don't get anything from raising the pledge. You can, it's not illegal, but you won't get any any benefit from it. Okay. Yeah, that's better described in your blog post that we'll link down below because your blog post shows it cap off. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, cool. The nice one about this is just that you can fiddle with the parameters. Yes, because in the blog post, you can't play with the knob. We'll see, late, we'll see later, Rick, because maybe we can get a version of this that people can play with themselves. This is all from the point of view of the pool operators, in, in particular, yes. these return of investments. The rewards that people delegating to one of these 200 pools get are exactly the same. They get exactly the same for their ADA that they delegate, no matter to which of these 200 pools they delegate. That's exactly what we mean by equilibrium. I mean, the pools try to be equally attractive to everybody else because that's how they maximize their own. I mean, the pool operators try to be equally attractive to people because um, that's how they maximize their own reward. So uh, from the point of view of the people that delegate, it doesn't matter where in this, to which of the, these 200 pools you delegate. They're all equally, they pay all equally well. Because if one pool is higher here, if he's more attractive, it could be more attractive by having higher pledge or lower costs, he will compensate for that by taking a higher margin for himself. So basically, the, at least in theory, the game theory uh, predicts that... that um, pools will compete in this way and take as much margin as they can so that they are all indistinguishable from each other for people that want to delegate. And on okay. the on the mainnet, uh, unlike on the testnet, you can, or at least in the early days of the testnet, um, you, the, the pool operators can change their cost and margin uh, as they go along. Um, and that's important so that they can make these sort of fine-tuning to get the competitive equilibrium at the end. So it's not just a one-time guess. You're allowed, you know, the pool operators can react to what each other do, and that's important to end up with that um, with that equilibrium. Right. So, what one of the things we'll be trying on the testnet with you on the Pioneer testnet, Rick, with you and uh, other people, will, will be uh, letting you vary these parameters and and seeing exactly what happens. And because we're we've only got a six hour epoch, you'll be able to see the effects very very quickly and get very very uh, quick feedback on the effect of varying the pledge and the other parameters. Yeah, that was brilliant to accelerate time like that. <laughs> you can do that. You've mastered time. Uh, so the, so the, the, what's interesting here, how do we find the A0 and how do we find K? That's another big uh, parameter operators are interested in because if they know what K is, they can play with the spreadsheet that UMED put out. They could probably play with these tools that Lars is demonstrating and start to find a corridor that they can, that their budget will allow them to work with. Because people, like Philippe said, people are trying to make business decisions and they're probably trying to weigh it. So how, how do we find A0 and how do we find K? Or do you have some notions? Do you think there's a... Well, I mean, it's complicated, of course, because as you see, I mean, it depends on how people think. It depends on psychology and so on. But um, I mean, this A0, right at the beginning of the podcast, we try to explain why it's there in the first place, the pledge and Sybil attacks. So uh, somehow it's possible to relate the value of A0 to how much money a potential attacker would need in order to pull off a successful civil attack. So that's something one could calculate. I mean, not exactly calculate, but at least get some idea, some educated guess. So we, we can basically see, okay, if a zero is so and so high, then a civil attack would cost $1 billion, let's say. And then once we have that, then basically it's it's a back and forth, a discussion and collaboration with you and the community to to come up i mean how 
how much do we think? How high should that be? I mean, what is realistic? How how expensive should a civil attack be? So then we must somehow have this discussion. Um, I mean, on the one end, we want the A0 to be low so that um, pledges are low and uh, it's, people can that actually want to run a pool can do. But on the other end, of course, we want the system to be secure. So, But I mean, there are ways to, to actually set it. We must just do these calculations to, to get an idea of what values of A0, what um, costs for civil attacks they correspond to. There's also the issue of, of the cost. So when we set the costs here, uh, we've just estimated them, Rick, right? Sure. And hopefully, hopefully they resonate with what people are really finding. We're assuming that the uh, Haskell-Shelley code will be relatively easy to run. You won't need to put a huge amount of maintenance. You'll do um, a small amount, but not a heavy amount of marketing, things like this. But of course, we don't know for sure. And one of the factors that's going to be important is how expensive it really is to run the pool. And we, we, we can't tell that, but that will drive the correct level of um, A0. It will also drive the correct setting of the K parameter, the number of pools parameter. So how, how many pools can we have that are economically viable um, so that the system, the ecosystem as a whole benefits so that every ADA stakeholder has a good return. The people who are running pools from home, the commercial operators, the whales, people with huge amounts of ADA, relatively large amounts of ADA like Emergo, etc. So how, how does everyone get the right experience? And as Lars was saying, at the same time, we have a, we have a system which is resilient uh, to a long-term attack. Okay. Um, and one other thing to think to say when you're looking at these figures is these are based on today's ADA price, roughly five US cents per ADA. And we, and we know, of course, right, it's going to yes. rise. Uh, it's going to rise to five or ten dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, people are going to love you for that. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> not financial advice, just a guess. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Charles, Charles will be at this point funneling Ada into my personal account, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, but we, we, we expect. So, okay, so don't don't take, don't take that as a piece of investment advice. But, but seriously, we're we're all hoping that. Um, you know, the, the value of ADA is going to rise as the value of ADA rises. Uh, so these numbers will change. Right, because it, re it reduces your effective cost. Okay. Yeah, so the cost yeah. Yes, because then, of course, um, an ADA amount, I mean, if, for example, you pledge 10,000 ADA, now that's $200. If, if the price of ADA goes up, then, of course, that same pledge would suddenly be much more expensive to pay for in dollars or euro. So the exchange rate has a massive influence, of course, as well. But the good point there is that it, it's the same effect on everybody, right? So you know, you you say, oh, the exchange rate's gone up, and my you know my pledge is now super expensive. But that same effect applies to all pool operators. So everybody has that same incentive to um, you know reduce the amount of capital that they are committing to to their pledge. So you know, because everybody faces that same pressure, it's not like an unfair uh, competition. Mm -hmm. So is that pledge influence or the A0, is it going to be static or dynamic as the as the price changes? Is this going to be something that we can expect to change every few weeks or is it something that's going to stay in, in place for, for months on end? I would expect it to be relatively changed relatively infrequently. So I think there's two things to say here. One is that yes, we can change it. It's not, it's not automatic, but it can be changed. 
it is a protocol parameter that can be changed. And the other thing is that the, the effects here are not that sensitive to the choice of A0. So, you know, we can start off with an A0 that we kind of, as a community, all, you know, have a rough feeling based on our guesses about, you know, assumptions and psychology and, and market equilibriums that we think will be about right. And we can see how it goes and we can change it. And, and the effect, and it, yeah, it's not that strong of an effect. It's not this like, you know, do or die. Um, like, like when people were thinking about it as being a minimum pledge, it's, it's not like that at all. You know, it's, it's, it's much more subtle uh, influence on, you know, how people choose, um, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't change what pledge people actually have available, right? That, that's always going to be a limiting factor on, on the amount that people choose to pledge. And the other thing to say to back that up, Duncan, is at the moment IOHK is setting these values, uh, but in the near future, that isn't going to be the case. These these parameters will, will all be set by the community. The community will decide what is the right value. Yeah, once we get decentralized governance, we get uh, we get those those parameters can be set. Okay, so this is a kind of interesting. Uh, let me give you an example to make sure I understand this correctly. Let's say let's say a zero is set to zero point one. Uh-huh. And K equals a thousand, and uh-huh. a bunch of pools start popping up with very low pledge, and the appearance of a Sybil attack begins to emerge. Can you adjust a zero, or would you adjust? How does that work? Like you can crank it up; it's at zero point one. We can crank it up to zero point three, and that will start to calm the Sybil attacks. Is am I hearing this right? Yes, you could you can do that. You could you can crank it up from zero point one to infinity if you want it, but that would seriously perturb the system. Okay. So if that was a concern, yes, you can't crank it up instantly. We, it's not something that we would want to do in a reactive manner. We would want to try and pick it such that these things wouldn't happen. But it, yes, to some degree, if it were happening very slowly, um, you, we, you can change this parameter. You know, once per epoch. Um, but we would expect it to be relatively static. That once, once we, you know, as a community agree on roughly the right level, that we would then, you know, keep it at probably that level. And then, uh, as I said, it's overall, it's not the overall equilibrium is not that sensitive to the choice of a zero. Uh, another thing to point out is if we if we did have a thousand pools running, you would have to be running five hundred of those or more to gain enough ADA to be able to launch a civil attack. It's that's sure. a lot of work mm. to launch a civil attack. Okay. Yeah. So probably the bigger the bigger factor on uh, you know for, for pools is really the, the the choice of K rather than the choice of A zero. Okay. Or a combination of the two because they work together. They do work together. Yeah. But I think yeah. that the system is actually less sensitive to the choice of A zero than it is to the choice of K because K is basically you know the the, the all the rewards the monetary expansion uh, that's going on per epoch being divided between. You know, either a thousand or between a hundred, so that makes a big difference to, uh, um, or anywhere in between, depending on what K is chosen to be. So that means that K factor is actually more important because that determines I, I think the leaderboard. Um, you know, the top how, however number of pools, and that's what you need to mm. get into in order to be competitive. Yes, yes, but also, you know, if you have uh, K being a thousand, you know, there's lots and lots of pools. They would, you know, there's, there's still only a, a pie of a certain size that can only support costs of a certain amount yeah. if if it's divided only a hundred ways then you know each one individually can support higher higher operational costs and okay. there's obviously a trade-off between that we want to have between you know as, as users you would like to have the system be run cheaply as a state pool operator you want to be able to have it's not about the profit it's about being able to do it 
properly, you know, spend the right amount on labor, equipment, etc., so that you're you're doing it in a uh, you know proper way and not just something that will fall over at the first sign of a you know denial of service attack or something. And you know, users of the system would also like you know proper pool operators and not just people running it from their bedroom on a uh, on a shoestring budget and a shoestring um, internet connection because they want it to be robust. So you know, as as overall as as you know as a community deciding these values, there is an interesting question of how expensive do we want our pools to be? Both how many of them, because obviously more of them is costs more, uh, but also, you know, how how expensive should each one be individually? So that, you know, that that's that's a discussion that I think is worth having. And and as I said, yeah, K is K is the bigger, um, more important parameter here than than A zero. Okay. So along with K, so K kind of goes along with the pledge discussion a little bit. So we can talk about that for a moment. Lars, while we're on this, uh, are you done with your screen share? You can either turn it yeah. off. You can, you can find something cool. You can put up cartoons for us to watch or something like that. <laughs> um, so what is a good K parameter? And I'll give you an example. Is there a technological limitation that says we don't want K equals 100,000 because if you have 100,000 nodes running, it's not uh, beneficial to the network. And we don't want K equals 50 because of other technological reasons. We need more robust. We need more geodispersion or whatever the case may be. So do you guys have an idea of what K should be for mainnet? Is it, do you have engineering decisions or, or what? How's that I can, work? I can speak to the engineering ones and maybe Kevin, you want to talk about the, um, the, the other aspects. Okay. Um, let's do that. So the, I mean, for engineering, um, yes, in the end, there's a scaling, uh, limit. I mean, you know, blockchains still don't scale that fantastically, um, but you know, we could we could easily get into the thousands, I think, uh, or maybe even the tens of thousands. We haven't um, we haven't tested at that kind of scale because our expectation is it would be a lot smaller than that. So I don't think there's we're not expecting there to be a technical limitation on the higher end. The the higher end would be would be limited by you know as a community what we want the costs of the system to be, because obviously the more pools, the higher the higher the cost, and on the low end. That's really about you know what is decentralization. You know if you've got one pool, it's clearly not decentralized. If you've got five mining pools, well, that's probably not decentralized either. Um, but maybe if you've got fifty or hundred, or you know, then then it, then it's more into the social question of or philosophical question of what what is it, what is sufficiently decentralized that I can trust it as a decentralized system, that it's not just five mining pools um, like in Bitcoin. Um, Kevin, do you want to talk about the other? I mean, that that moves yeah. into the other aspects. Yeah, so so then the the cost the cost and social issues are say say you did run a hundred thousand pools, then each pool could only get a hundred thousandth of the rewards. So that pro- your costs would tend to dominate. Uh, you would probably not make any return from that. You probably wouldn't even cover your your basic costs. So unless unless you were running a pool from home at a hundred thousand, uh, with the current ADA price. Uh, you, it just wouldn't be economically viable to do that. The only way you could do that would be to run it from home, run the pool as a lost lost leader, make up your uh, costs from some other channel, which is not what we would perceive as being socially desirable. We want to have competent people uh, running the pools. At least, uh, and we need that initially. So initially, we're certainly not going to have a number that is anywhere near 100,000. And then, as Duncan says, the question is how far we can we can creep it out. So we've got a um, Charles has said he would like a thousand pools to run. That that seems to be entirely plausible. 
um, it's, it's a nice round number and it's a good goal. It might be too high uh, for all of those pools to, to make a commercial return. Maybe quite a few of them would then be amateur pools, or alternatively, you might it might be it might be lower than than we could support going down the road. So what we will expect to do is to start off cautiously, because we want to give people a fair chance and a fair chance to make a decent return. And this the K parameter is one of these parameters we can vary over time. So if we see yes, uh, the system is coping well, people are. Uh, we're getting a good number of professional pools, but we, we're not only the top 50 are actually getting the rewards, then perhaps we have to increase the K number to, to spread that out a bit a bit further. So it's going to be something that is driven by the um, social goals of the system. We want to be as distributed as possible. It's going to be driven by the technical goals, making the system as robust and reliable as possible. Um, but it's also going to be driven by economic goals, making sure that everyone gets a good return from the Cardano system as well. In- including the ADA including price, the right? Price. Because if, if the price of ADA goes up significantly, then actually you know, the, the, the costs that you can support in operating the system go up. So that, and that might be one of the ways, you know, as you know, Charles is saying, a thousand as a decentralization goal mm. is is a good goal. But if you can't get there initially, because there wouldn't be enough, you know, to to go around to make each of those pools, um, you know, that they can be run professionally in an economically viable way, then you just have to start lower, and then you know, if the price of ADA goes up, you would actually be able to gradually increase K, uh, and because you you know the the, the amount of money, the, the size of the pie has gone up, uh, and so you can divide it between more pools and have them still be uh, viable and, and get um, a higher degree of decentralization. But, you know, it is, it is also a philosophical discussion that the community ought to be having amongst ourselves about what, what is decentralization? Am I decentralized when there's 10, 20, 100, 1,000? What, what, what is it? What does decentralization mean? How, how decentralized is enough? Because you don't, you don't need it to be, you don't need decentralization for its own sake. It's to achieve some goal, and you don't. And the bigger, the more, the more pools you have, the more costs uh, it, it takes to run the system. So there is a balance in between between the you know the philosophical goal of achieving whatever we mean by decentralization and having something that you know is economically viable for everybody. We also have a sense check from the incentivized test net, uh, which is that um, I think about we have about seven hundred, seven hundred and fifty pools. Uh, that have been running. So it's, it's absolutely not infeasible that we would have um, a thousand pools on the main net pretty pretty early, Rick. But as Duncan's saying, not all those probably would be running as commercial pools. You wouldn't expect them all to be running commercially at that yeah. level. So yes, yeah, so you, you may have well more active pools than, than the value of K. Like, you, know, you might pick K as 200 and see 500 pools. That, that's kind of the effect that we saw on the testnet. That's that's the exact numbers I came up with. I said, oh, wow, we have K equals 100, and we have 280 effective pools, effective. And uh, so if you put K equals 400, you end up with about 1,000 effective pools. But you would also have to make the assumption the price of ADA were to go up to make it people want to do it. Um, one mis- There's a misconception among the, amongst the crypto community, not everybody, but some people, that more pools equals more decentralized, but there, there is a, a huge difficulty with defining what does decentralized mean. Decentralized doesn't mean mm. infinite. Like my crypto is more decentralized than their crypto because we have more pools. Well, that's not necessarily true, right? You got to find the right balance like Duncan was saying. Absolutely, Rick. 
And so, I mean, say, say you search K to be a million, nice big number. Mm-hmm. Probably you would only have about 10,000 or so pools operating. So a lot of the potential rewards will then simply be dispersed. You wouldn't okay. even see the rewards, right? Yeah. Also, I think the, really the, the big comparison here is like, you know, five, right? With Bitcoin, you know, you've got five big mining operations, right? In, in Bitcoin, uh, last time I checked anyway. And so if you're already going to like 50 or 100, you're already massively more decentralized than those. The difference between 100 and 200 is, you know, proportionally much less than the difference between, you know, going from five to 50 or five to 100. You know, you're already, you're already massively more decentralized. How, how decentralized do you want to be? You know, that's, that's, that's where you have to draw a line and say, well, what, what is it? How, how far do you have to push it? There's a difference between, between decentralized and chaos. You don't want we chaos. Won't, we won't <laughs> have chaos, Rick. We don't, we're not going to allow chaos. We don't want chaos. We don't want chaos. <laughs> uh, there, there are also different notions of decentralization. We, we probably don't have enough time to go into it on this podcast. Uh, but one of the notions of decentralization is to have enough uh, stake pools producing, producing blocks to maintain a healthy ecosystem uh, and to prevent attacks. And another is to have enough stakeholders delegating their ADA in the system. And another one is who has control over the long-term Cardano ecosystems. These are all different kinds of decentralization. And you, you might well have different settings for each of these. So it's perfectly reasonable, for example, to say, well, we want to have a million uh, entities, a million people um, owning ADA, right? Why, yeah. why not? That that's that would be great. Seven now, billion. Why, seven, seven billion. Okay. <laughs> is, is that that's the entire world population, right? So seven point seven billion. Seven point seven. Okay. Okay. That's so my ten, goal. <laughs> okay. Okay. So ten percent don't own ADA. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so yes, so, and then each of them is going to have some voting rights. So you'll have hugely decentralized voting rights. But you wouldn't expect all of them to be running a state pool, producing blocks, etc. It's, it's not necessary for the health of the system to do that. Yeah, and a lot of people just don't want to do it, and that's right. just how it is, you know. And that's why we have delegation. Yeah, yeah. So there's a message for the for the technocrats, which is uh, you you can rule the world. You can use you can use your knowledge, uh, your technical capabilities to run your pools and have people delegate to you. How's that the message? That's good. <laughs> That's more power to the DevOps-oriented people out there. <laughs> my joke on one of my podcasts was, you know, the reason DevOps run a pool because they need money. Rich people don't need money. They already got money. Hmm. They, they're just going to delegate. Yeah. So we've talked around a lot of this. Uh, there were a number of questions that people had on, on Reddit. Do you think... Um, yes. Let's, are there any that... Uh, let's that, go over to Reddit to quickly. ...that um, haven't been addressed by what we've discussed so far? Um, I'm scanning through right now. Uh, we are past our hour, but let's see if we can get maybe one question from each user, Rick, because some users ask multiple questions, and I believe we hit a majority of the topics here. We did. I'll hit one from Outrageous Dark because okay. it looks like their questions. I had scanned this before we started. One of them was another question about sources of centralization. Will geographical or cloud clustering of stake pools become a potential source of imbalance for the Cardano network. Mm, so that's, that's kind of like a combination question. of pledge vi- as and the network. So could that become a sense of imbalance if everything's running on the cloud? 
So, so could, could I just say, if you ask a scientist, could something happen? The answer is always yes. Okay. <laughs> so please, please temper the discussion with that. What we're interested in is the likelihood of something happening and the effect of that happening. So I guess this is coming from what we've seen on the incentivized test net, where people have discovered, oh, yes, if you run in Frankfurt, then you get uh, a better uh, percentage of blocks created. Therefore, you get higher rewards and uh, you earn more Asia. This is essentially where this is coming from. Yeah, now, I guess. I don't, but in the context, um, yeah, maybe. maybe. So, so Duncan will tell us about the technical angle there. There may, there may be some technical factors that will mean that better connectivity uh, brings a marginal uh, benefit to the, to the pools, but it won't be as pronounced as on the incentivized test net. We're, we're, we're confident of that. Um, in particular, the network uh, design is completely different. It's been designed to be more decentralized. And we've already on the um, Pioneer testnet, we've tried it on at least four continents, right? So we have pioneers in South America, no, actually, maybe not South America, North America, Europe, uh, Australasia, and Asia, all happily cooperating there. So it will be less of an effect that, that we will see. And one of the social goals that we want is to create is to create as level a playing field as we can, so that uh, we don't concentrate all of the pool operators uh, within uh, one data center, one Amazon data center in Frankfurt. That wouldn't be very, although they might be nominally decentralized, that wouldn't be very good for real decentralization. Indeed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. It would, so, there, there'd be a single point of failure or the failure yeah, points yeah. would start to collapse. Yeah. Exactly. So you have an apparent decentralization, but if everybody is, has put all of their stake pools into the same data center, well, you don't have any real resilience at all. And that isn't a good technical solution. So maybe, John, can you like to tell us about some of the technical issues? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So in, indeed, as, as Kevin was saying, the, just the, with the way the network is constructed, we, we think there will be less tendency towards or less pressure towards um, you know, reducing network latency and, and that sort of network centralization just because of the choices of the Prayos parameters and how quickly blocks can get across the network and how kind of tight that is. But th this is definitely an issue we're concerned with, as, as, as Kevin was saying, that we, you know, we don't want that kind of network centralization. Um, there are a couple of other ideas that we are currently playing with. So this is kind of hot off the presses, if you like. Um, this is not something that we've implemented yet, but a an ongoing discussion that we're having with the Ouroboros researchers about ways of tweaking the Ouroboros chain selection rule to reduce the, uh, the, the effect of um, giving an advantage to, um, to people who are closer together. One of the ideas, which I think is actually a very promising idea that, that we're looking at with the researchers, is to make the, 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 the choice uh, or make chain selection more deterministic, right? So that it does not depend so much on the order in which blocks arrived at anywhere, which then means that you know, the latency shouldn't matter so much. So here's the idea. You say you can have two chains of equal length, right? So this, this, would, be, this would come up when uh, either you know, two, two um, pools created a block in the same slot or you know, two pools created a block in you know, slots that were nearby, one or two apart, and it took you know one or two slots to get the block across the network if they're large blocks. So, um, so they could have been you know same block, same slot, or they could have been just nearby. But the point is that they didn't build on each other. They were created kind of simultaneously in time from the point of view of causality. 
And so we have two chains that are of equal length. So the, the, the tweak in the rule is to say, instead of picking the chain that arrived first, you pick the chain that has the lowest VRF output. Right? And that's something that you can't fake. And that makes it deterministic. So if the one that arrived second happens to have the lower VRF output, then that's the one that gets picked, um, even though it arrived second. So that should, I mean, we have to think through all the consequences with the researchers, but that should um, basically eliminate the, well, very significantly reduce the effect of, you know, getting that last little bit of network latency. Um, you know, like, like this effect of everyone being, trying to be nearer the New York Stock Exchange so they can get microseconds in ahead of someone else. It should, it should eliminate that kind of effect entirely. Um, so we're, yeah, we're looking, we're looking very closely at that idea. Because, yeah, we don't want that kind of network centralization. That's a, that's a bad thing. You, right. You're also likely to push your costs up, and we've been having a discussion about costs. Right. right? So actually, you might make yourself less competitive. Yeah, we'd like people to operate, you know, not have to invest in fiber optic cables and the rest of it, and private peering arrangements. And we'd like the people to be able to operate them in any part of the world. I mean, once you're over a certain threshold of, you know, network quality and resilience, we don't, we, we don't want to have a a strong marginal effect pushing people together or towards lower and lower latency. Okay. Well, okay. thank you, Duncan, Kevin, and also Outrageous Dark on Reddit. Thank you for the question. Philippe, you want to get the next one? Okay. Um, Outrageous Dark asked quite a few questions. I, I scanned through. I think we answered most of his. In, in, in general context, I yes. think we got all those. It's a very good, it's more like a, a, a written article on there. Yes. Okay. Could you maybe pass those? We, we should have a look at them, and we, we might answer them offline. If Okay. Okay. It looks like Smotchkiss questions are answered, too. Yes, um, yes. We don't um, have a special number yet. Glitch is on there. Yeah, glitch, I think Glitch's main concern, uh, not entirely, was, was uh, pledge, instead of becoming stake pools, pools become pledge pools, where... Many, many, many people become pool owners and they all concentrate their pledge into one Yeah, we pool. didn't talk about that. That's a really good one right, to talk about. One topic. That's one Is topic that a good topic missed. to hit right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good topic. Great all right, topic. well, thank you, Glitch, for that. Go ahead, guys. What, what's your thoughts on that? So, so, so one of the very important features that, that people perhaps gloss over when thinking about the stake pools is the fact that the, the role of the owner and the operator are different and, the, and there can be many owners. So the operator is the person who actually runs the pool. They run the server, et cetera. Um, but the one or more owners are the people who put in the pledge. And, and the system is designed so that those people have to have a, a strong, close relationship to each other. Right? So it's not just pledging is not just like super delegating. It's not just a better form of delegation. You do actually have to have a um, you know, close relationship of trust, a trust relationship with, between the, the pool owners and the pool operator. But nevertheless, it means that you can form, you know, like a Reddit coalition, um, where you can um, you can you know get several people together to to put enough together to get a competitive pledge to get you into that top two hundred. So that's one way in which you know the, the the pledge can be less of a burden because you can do it by by aggregating um, between a group. Um, so I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind when when also thinking about you know the level the levels of pledge. You know, it's not just what one guy on Reddit can achieve, but what could you know a group of people achieve together who you know trust each other to the yep. degree necessary? Yeah, and and it'll happen. Look, some will form and they'll be successful, and some will form and the a part the group owner pledge will not work out. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll pull it 
and the rewards will disappear for the remainder of the epic and poof, the trust yeah. is broken and, and, it'll fall, and it'll fall apart. And that's what's yeah. going to happen. Just like when it comes to getting a good pledge, some pools will die off. Yep. That's what happens in a competitive environment. It already happened on ITN yep. and it'll happen on the mainnet is someone will fire up pool. They'll push, push, push. It won't work out. It'll die off. That's just how it works. And it's worth bearing in mind that with this sort of Reddit coalition style pool, um, there is limited trust. It's not unlimited. You know, your 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 pledged funds are not at risk. The only thing that's at risk is that you know, in the next epoch, it might all fall apart, and you don't get any rewards at that epoch, and then you just go and you know, delegate or pledge to a different pool, or or kick out the one guy who you know um, didn't meet their pledge, um, and and carry on with everybody else. So it's not it's not you know, game over. Um, there's no capital or funds at risk. It's just you know, uh, if it, if it all goes south. Uh, then that pool won't get any rewards in that in that next epoch. Yeah, but then then of course you might also lose some delegators. So you, you really don't want that to happen. Yeah, I mean it's not good. You know, it's not good. But it's not it's not like your um, it's not like your capital's at risk. No, it's it's okay. not not that bad. All right. Well, thank you for those answers. Thank you for the question there, Glitch and uh, Philippe. I think we're good. I scanned over them. Yeah. All, all the relate all the ones related to pledge. Yes. And the context. Uh, I, think I think we are good. I think yes. we're good to go. Lord Wooten 77 has a really good question there, but we can't answer those yet. It's about what should the K value be and uh, how do we decide which server to rent and so on. And that's the kind of stuff we're just going to have to learn trial by fire is do it, find out what happens. I wish I knew an answer. I wish that you guys that we have here today could just spoon feed me all the answers, right? Just make my life easy. Give me a K number. Give me, you know, it's, but I guess we're not there, right? And and it's also a community discussion, right? You know, it's also something where where you know Charles and IHK and everyone wants wants that in, uh, feedback and and discussion of what 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 how should we pick these things? It's not it's not just a you know centralized decision, right? right. Yes, it shouldn't be. So, what would your advice be as far as I mean, the business owners that are trying to create a sustainable staking pool business? How long, what's our window going to be until we find out whether or not what the exact values are so we can run the calculations, do some back of the envelope calculations. People can decide whether they're going to make future investment or they're going to divest from their staking pool. Is It's it's important to know maybe not like a week or two before Haskell mainnet releases, but maybe yeah. a month or two before so people can start putting us a certain plan of action together to figure out whether they're going to either move forward full steam ahead or they're going to divest. This is one for you, Kevin. Yeah. Um, so ab absolutely. So it's something that we're very uh, aware of. What we would like is to get more input from the community because we, as you saw in the numbers that we put together with Lars, we've got a rough idea of what we think the cost should be. But we haven't been able to base that against our real operating costs to work out what people's expected margin, uh, return, marginal return is, and so on. So getting some more information would actually help us drive the best business decisions. Uh, it'd be particularly interesting, uh, Rick, perhaps to have an open de debate amongst the community, possibly without an IOHK representative. And for, you to and for you to have the discussion and say, look, here, here's what we think. <laughs> that would be very interesting to us. And also to give us, uh, so to say to us, no, look, these, these costs you, you're giving, uh, these are completely unrealistic. It's going to cost, no, I'm, I'm based in, I don't know, Virginia, USA, and I'm renting a gold-plated server from Apple 
and it costs 10 times as much as your uh, as your estimating so no way can i compete in that you need to you need to set the cost high and you set the a0 higher if you want me to compete this kind of thing is very interesting to us we'll do okay. we'll do our best with the data of course okay all right philippe sounds like we have our homework yes. assignment from the professors yes. and so philippe and i approach we kind of take the bull in the china shop approach we're just going to piss everybody off Yes, and, and make make them angry, and then then they'll talk it. about it. <laughs> That's what happened last time, right? We threw we we figured out some notional numbers. Said let's use this number and throw it at the podcast. And I was literally pissed. I was like, "Damn, what am I? How am I going to make this work?" And it worked. Everyone got talking about it. <laughs> yeah, just give us a bit of warning next time. Okay, Rick. Otherwise, people jump up and down. And <laughs> Everyone blamed you guys. That was me and Philippe's fault. <laughs> it wasn't OHK. We we yeah. do that to ourselves. No, it's good, it's good to get the discussion going. It's very yeah. good to get the discussion going. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Lo- lots right. of other discussions that we're going to need, Rick, going going forward, and lots lots more community engagement, uh, stake pool operators, ADA holders, uh, all members of the community whoever they are we need we need we need their input because it's not an IOHK thing um, anymore is 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 the community it's a community thing we need to set things up for the community awesome okay that sounds good i just would like to add to rick's last statement we didn't pull those numbers out of thin air i just want to let you know that that's right but yeah. this podcast has been wonderful guys thank you lars kevin and duncan for joining us today uh, we appreciate you uh, you're always welcome on the podcast. Do you have any last words or thoughts for the viewers and listeners of the Cardano Effect? Just something that came to me when you um, asked about what kind of server to buy. I mean, just wanted to point out again, isn't it wonderful that we have a stake of uh, proof-of-stake proof system, I mean, where you can actually use some Raspberry Pi in principle. I mean, we should always keep that in mind. I mean, if you had proof of work, then we are talking, moving to the polar circle, to the Arctic circle. And uh, so I mean... Next to a nuclear power station or a uh, exactly. some other source of cheap uh, electricity. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, of course, there are some requirements. I mean, uh, you need some sort of memory and so on. But I mean, it's so much more down to earth than anything that came before. So I just think it's nice to remember that. And we even have one brave soul within IOHK who has been running uh, a Haskell node on their Raspberry Pi. So it's not only theoretically possible. It was also somebody from the community in Miami last year, I believe. Wasn't that? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got one to, uh, to play around with. I haven't, uh, <laughs> the, I haven't got the, it all. The pool uh, in South Africa runs on a rock pie. Hmm. Yeah. Pool in South Africa is on a rock pie. Right. So have have fun. It's going to be it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an exciting ride. Uh, we're just at the just at the start of it, but it's great. It's great fun. It's fantastic to see where we are, Rick, and what what what's been achieved, all, all the all the wonderful things that have happened with the community through the incentivized testnet now coming to fruition, Shelley on mainnet, and exciting things coming up behind that. Okay. It is. Yes, perhaps the other next um, you know big thing that people can get involved with will be um, when the when the Shelley testnet has opened up slightly wider. Um, once we've you know got all, most of the bugs shaken out um, with the uh, with the friends and family uh, testnet, and so that'll be a, a good opportunity for people to get more more involved. Okay. 
So speaking of which, we better get back and go back and start fixing things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Writing more tutorials. <laughs> Sounds Thank good. You. Sounds good. Thank you guys. And until the next episode of the Cardano Effect. Bye everyone. Thank you very much. Bye everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye.